0: Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. Today's interview is with the founder of a product design and development company, which is focused on connecting digital environments and the physical world. The firm has developed smart home, mobile, and web products for major brands, and it has a history of developing social impact projects. For example, in 2011, my guest and his team developed an open data initiative to help residents of Japan report and understand the levels of radiation following the earthquake and nuclear disaster over there. We talk about how my guest made the leap from being a full-time employee to the CEO of a startup, and we talk about how he's grown that business and built an impressive client base. So here are three reasons why I think you should listen to this episode. Firstly, there are some great lessons in this episode on how to build a successful services business. Many of you are already currently running a services business, and maybe you want to transition to a product business full-time. And I think you'll get some good insights on just generally how you can be more successful on the services side and get more clients and, you know, just do a better job. Secondly, we talk about innovation and creating a culture where innovation is encouraged. And my guest has some great examples of what he's done to create that type of culture in his company and how that's resulted in some amazing new ideas and products. And thirdly, I always believe that looking outside of our own world reviews, we can find inspiration, new ideas, and better ways of doing business. So although this isn't a conversation about SaaS or a software product, I think it may give you some great out-of-the-box thinking that you can take and apply to your own SaaS or software business. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash BUPOS. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to sell your business or find your next deal. Hey, are you struggling to grow your SaaS business? to download your free copy and unlock faster growth for your SaaS business. That's the SASToolkit.com. Okay, today's guest is the co-founder and CEO of Uncorked Studios, a rapidly growing design and engineering firm that builds connected products for both digital and the physical world, ranging from an app or website to a wearable device or smart home technology. The company was founded in 2010 and is based in Portland, Oregon. It's clients include companies such as Google, Adidas, Intel, and Lego. So today I'd like to welcome Marcelino Alvarez. Marcelino, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Honored.
0: So I I always like to start by asking my guests for a quote or just what gets them, what drives them to do what they do. So what gets you out of bed?
1: Sure. I, I think the the most memorable quote for me that that kind of gets me out of bed uh, every morning actually came from the the old ad agency I used to work at. Uh, they had it kind of emblazoned on a wall uh, with with pushpins, and it was this uh, just really large kind of emblazoned fancy script word that said "Fail harder." And I think that idea of failing harder, you know, certainly failure isn't something that people aspire to do, um, but the willingness to accept that failure might be an outcome that we can learn from uh, and, and kind of build upon better the next day. Uh, is certainly something that, that drives me. So I've, I've always looked at that as, as less of a, a negative thing, but really an opportunity to just kind of get up and, you know, how how can we not be afraid to take risks, uh, use that as as a motivation to kind of push forward and, and learn from the mistakes that we inevitably make every day.
0: So tell, tell the audience a little bit more about Uncork Studios. Um, what uh, What kind of projects are you guys working on beyond what you know, and a firm like yours might be doing in terms of app development or whatever. Are there any interesting things that you'd, you'd sort of want to call out?
1: Sure. Absolutely. So a little bit about Encore. you know, we're we a product design company and, and one of the things that we're really, you know, super focused on is the intersection of uh, the digital products that people use and the physical environments that they use them within. And, you know, early in our history that that was best quantified by mobile applications. It was really easy to explain that, you know, a mobile app that allows you to check into a coffee shop uh, is really you know the intersection of physical and digital over the last few years we 've really moved into the the hardware and connected device space and have really kind of built uh, you know a variety of products in that space whether it 's uh, you know helping r and d teams understand kind of the role of, of the smart kitchen or the connected home or helping you know aging populations understand how technology can make their life easier or building uh, you know technology products to kind of document the experiences of um, you know, Arab populations in, in the Middle East through the lens of, of, of Arab photographers. I mean, there's the thing that I'd love the most about Uncorked is that there's very little connective thread in the types of, of products that we build, uh, but that we have a passion for building things that have a purpose uh, and for uh, really putting our expertise and, and, and knowledge into, you know, designing solutions, whether they be, you know, visual or brand design or, or technical and, and, and system design uh, to, solve, to solve
0: real world problems. What were you doing before you started Uncorked?
1: So I used to work for an advertising agency uh, here in Portland called Wieden Kennedy, uh, tremendous agency, most well known for their work with with Nike and Old Spice and and Coca Cola over the years. And uh, my my role over there was executive interactive producer, and I was uh, you know tasked with you know building a production team, but also bringing in uh, the the knowledge and expertise of, of digital work in house, and uh, was always interested. In, in the role that, that software and digital products could play in helping to communicate a brand story. Uh, that culminated for me in, in, a, in a project that I worked on in, in 2009 in conjunction with, with Nike and the Livestrong Foundation called the Nike Chalkbot. And that was a, a product that we built for the 2009 tour, uh, which uh, you might remember was, was Lance Armstrong's return to cycling. And uh, we wanted to create a mechanism for, for fans of cycling and, and people in the U.S., uh, who were inspired by the Livestrong brand to communicate, you know, messages of hope and inspiration for those who uh, had survived cancer or in honor of those who had passed on the Tour de France. And so we literally built uh, a street printing machine uh, called the Chalk Bot uh, that built on the history of, of people kind of writing messages of, of hope uh, for the cyclists in Chalk. Uh, well, we mechanized that and we built this uh, large street printer that we pretty much graffitied the entire French countryside uh, in 2009. And and I remember be, being out there uh, on the tour uh, in 2009 and realizing that, you know, this was the first thing I'd ever worked on that I didn't have to explain the technology uh, to my parents or to someone who's, who uh, may, may not have known how it was built. It was immediately uh, relatable. It was, you know, the most human piece of inhuman technology that I think I'd ever worked on. And, you know it really put this idea forward that you know uh, sometimes the the product that we build can have a purpose that's way bigger than than that which we intended to do. and And I remember coming back from that and and realizing, a, that's the coolest thing I will ever do in advertising, uh, and b, I need to leave right now on a high note and and really kind of focus on this. you know, go leave leave leave, you know, leave all your head. But I was really interested in in what the role of an r and d department or an r and d agency could be. To help build, you know, technologies on timelines that are realistic to clients. And so the initial kind of genesis of this was like, well, how, you know, clients never have more than eight weeks to build a thing. How can we have just a repertoire of technology that, you know, when a client comes to us and says, hey, can you build this in in eight weeks? The answer is like, no, but we have this. Uh, and this maybe gets us 60% of the way there, helps us, you know, kind of illustrate uh, what's possible. And 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 I think that was a, you know, a pretty naive way to look at technology, but I, I think it was at the same time, an inspiration for a lot of the way that we approach work, which is to say, let's, let's, let's try to achieve as much as possible using a combination of things that we know exist, things that we have expertise in and, and really, you know, get comfortable with, you know, looks like, feels like prototypes to help communicate the vision of a product while in parallel uh, really doing research on, you know, who is this for? Why would anyone use this piece of tech? You know, what, what are the underlying, you know, kind of principles or, or go-to-market strategies for for any piece of tech that we build, whether it's for a startup or a large brand? So that was kind of the, the genesis of of, of Uncork, uh, was was really this idea of, of connecting physical and, and digital worlds.
0: Okay, so you worked on this this important and memorable project. You came back, you decided that you wanted to kind of go and do your own thing. A lot of people have been there. A lot of people have those ideas and then they do nothing. Um, so, but, but you did. So what, what happened next? How did you go about launching this business?
1: Sure. So I, I remember, you know, the, the, the moment where I was like, I need to do this thing. And at the time, uh, Wyden, uh, had just launched Pi, the Portland incubator experiment, which, is, is now an incubator, but at the time was was really just a desk share. And it was conveniently located on the first floor of Wyden's offices. And so I thought, you know, maybe, maybe a way of kind of half quitting my job uh, would be to say, hey, I quit, but I want to go downstairs to this really cool thing that you guys are incubating down here. And so I talked to Rennie Gleason and, and Rick Tarosi, two, two of the, the principal architects of Pi, and said, hey, I would like to build a company that, you know, builds products at the intersection of physical and digital worlds uh, downstairs here and and, and I want to quit my job. You know, I think in typical Widen fashion, uh, not only did they, you know, were they amenable to it? They said, hey, here's here's a project. Uh, Can you build an interactive installation for the uh, Winter Olympics in Vancouver? And oh, by the way, you've got, you know, you've got eight weeks, (laughs) which which is a great way to to start. And and also (laughs) just to kind of, you know, it was it was our seed funding for sure.
0: Okay, so was that the first project that you worked on?
1: That was that was the first project that we worked on. You know, admittedly, the 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 precursor to I guess there's a there's a a precursor to this. And that between widen and uncorks, we tried the business model under kind of a different name with some partners, and we learned quite a bit from 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 that. Uh, And happy to kind of kind of share share insights from that. But yes, it was basically the first project post widen. We worked on a few things uh, over the the subsequent nine months. Uh, We had we had a brilliant crash in the middle of that. Uh, and then from the ashes of that crash, uh, Uncorked was, was truly born.
0: Yeah. Let's, let's talk about the, your kind of your first attempt at the business. What, yeah. what was that? And, and, uh, uh, how did you find these partners or co-founders?
1: Sure. So, uh, the first version of this was actually a company called Gorlocks, uh, G-O-R-L-O-C-H-S. Uh, and, you know the idea was kind of this like spunky group of of design and technologists, you know again, building physical products in the digital world and And you know at the time I had you know two partners who who you know still had day jobs, and it was myself and an engineer who who were focused full time on the business. And you know in addition to to doing the client work, we were working on a you know mobile application that was kind of a hybrid between uh, you know Foursquare, uh, facebook uh, and uh, and Twitter. That you know put like pins on a map and and photos uh, you know appended to Foursquare and it you know predated Instagram by a few months and I remember getting an email from Dennis Crowley once and thinking wow we've made it this is the coolest thing ever and then we 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 crashed you know we crashed gloriously uh, because we all didn't have the same stakes in the game and and while we had you know set up the the company for for everything to be equal. Um, we had we had just you know a different view of of where things were going. For those that had a day job, this was a side project, and and for those of us that this was the the day job, uh, it was really difficult to look you know at decisions that were clearly being made from you know the purview of, of a side project uh, objectively, and that and that led uh, to you know a, a bit of conflict. And so I, I you know my, my advice and, and lesson from that is. You know, when when you're starting a company, make sure that you know everyone has a clear sense of of what the stakes are in the game. And, and if you're bootstrapping your startup, that doesn't necessarily mean that everyone needs to quit their job on day one. But have a have a clear plan for if if you're the one who's doing this full time, you know, when when does your partner number one uh quit their job and partner number two quit their job and, and partner number three and and so forth, so that when you hit the the milestones and, and those could be business related or they could be product related or they could be you know, a combination of the two, uh, that there's an expectation that that we, you know we pass through this gate now. Now this action occurs, and and we we were all friends, and you know hit hit some bumpy roads, and, and are now friends again. But I think in hindsight, being clear about expectations of of what it is to start a company, and and you know what what the expectations are of, of contributors to that company over time is is really important to do again super obvious in hindsight but back then we're just like we're all in this together let's do it that that's not that's not a a viable business plan how long were
0: you working on this business
1: uh it was probably around eight months or so so uh the the chalkbot came back for for a second iteration that summer of, of twenty ten and then shortly thereafter that uh we kind of realized we we weren't all aligned and that was kind of where you know the the developer and I uh took the resources that that we had been working on or working with uh over that summer on products and said let's let's form uncorked uh from this and so that was really kind of the the moment where uh we' uncorked was really born, so it was I guess, uh, fall, fall of 2010.
0: Okay. So when you started Cork, who was with you?
1: Titles have since changed because people have kind of grown up, but, uh, our chief operating officer, John Furukawa, our chief creative officer, David Ewald, uh, and we had, uh, two other, uh, engineers that were part of the, the original kind of founding, uh, founding five. Uh, that, that was kind of the, the genesis of it. And, and, uh, John and David are still with us and we've kind of built, built a team, uh, around that, uh, over the years.
0: Okay. So you've got, you, you guys have got this business up and running. You get to work on this, um, this, this interactive experience for the Olympics. Mm -hmm. Was that the main thing that you, most of your time was spent on or was a lot of it also spent on trying to figure, I mean, was that kind of keeping the business going or did you have to spend a lot of time in parallel trying to figure out how to get more clients?
1: I think we had to spend a, a lot of time uh, figuring out how to get more clients, and and one of the things that that really benefited us, especially in that you know I would say first two two years or so, was was working with, you know, contacts within the ad agency business that we had worked with you know previously to help establish connections, build relationships, and and really you know kind of increase awareness of of what we were doing. And, and one of the companies that was really instrumental uh, from a, a partnership standpoint uh, is a company called Ara, uh, run by a good friend of mine, James O'Brien uh and and their business model is really great i mean james is a people person and and he has looked for you know talent and 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 companies that uh are doing interesting things in in the digital space and you know finds really strategic and well-tuned ways to connect those companies with brands and ad agencies that are looking for for talent that that's capable of of building you know the most far-flung ideas Uh, and in 2000, well, I guess it would have been 2011, you know, that meant bringing to us a a, a project that, uh, was unfortunately killed, but it was a project that we worked on for three months and we ramped up our company, which at the time was, you know, five people, uh, to 23 for an entire summer on, on the, the, I think it was a, it was a product that (laughs) probably tasked every freelancer available in Portland that summer, uh, to work on this. It was for a good cause. It was a brand that was behind it. It was for, you know, a, a big event. Uh, And at the last moment, you know, a a CMO and a CEO uh, that was basically, you know, at the the company that our you know our agency client had hired, kind of pulled the plug on it for reasons not at all related to our our product. And it was a tremendous, tremendous letdown. But many of those people that freelanced with us in the in the summer of 2011 uh, are now part of Uncork Studios, either either as colleagues of ours or or as partners in in the business. And it was a tremendous, tremendous learning experience. Again, you know, at, at five people, we could have never imagined what being 23 looked like. Uh, and now that we're well, well past that number, you know, we, we, we can look back at that preview and and, and kind of chuckle a little bit, um, but also kind of, uh, you know, take pride in, in the relationships that we built and and how we handled, you know, something that was very, very large, uh, you know, crashing very, very quickly in, in a way that I think, you know, built up our brand as, as a company that, you know, takes care of its people and and, and those that contribute to our work.
0: So you made an interesting point about, uh, tapping into your network to, to help you find clients and to grow the business. And not everybody is good at doing that or feels comfortable doing that. So maybe we can get a little bit more kind of specific. Maybe you can kind of walk us through. What were some of the things you did to make that happen? Was it, you know, hey, I'm going to send an email out to like everybody I know saying I've got this business or were you trying to um, follow up with a few specific people and and kind of meet, meet meet over coffee and tell them about what you were doing? So what were some of the things that you were doing, which looking back were really helpful in in growing the business by tapping into your network?
1: Sure, absolutely, uh, and and there were certainly a few, and I think there there are things that anybody can do, whether whether you're an introvert and and don't enjoy you know necessarily going to like networking events, or uh, if you're an extrovert and that's the thing you enjoy doing the most. I think I think it's really about balancing uh, you know var- various uh, types of things. So you know, I think from my perspective, one of the things that I always tell people is I love grabbing coffees. Uh, and so I will grab a coffee with anyone that wants to meet up. And so if anyone, you know, reaches out to me either at an event uh, or things that say, I'd love to grab a coffee and, and, and poke your brain about something, um, I'll set it up and we'll grab a coffee and we'll learn it. And, you know, whether that is someone that I can help immediately by, you know, offering them a job or connecting them with a client, uh, or maybe it's someone that I can, you know, make an introduction to that, that helps them out, you know, some point in time, you know, I, I don't think you're ever too big to be able to grab a coffee with someone, so I think that's that's the simplest act that you can do, um, just to meet people, understand you know what motivates them, what they're doing, and you know at some point in the future your your paths may cross either as a colleague, a client, or you know a collaborator on on a cool project. But I think there's certainly things that you can do uh, beyond that, and and one of the things that I think we kind of got sucked into. It wasn't, you know, we weren't seeking it, um, but it was uh, working with the Portland Development Commission. Uh, and again, we were we were probably six people at the time. We had just moved into, you know, our our current office building. And our landlord, Brad Mallison, uh, connected us with a few folks at the Portland Development Commission and said, hey, you should talk to these, these guys at Uncork. You know, they're doing some interesting things in the neighborhood. And you know, I think we were both shocked and and had no idea why. We're like, look, we're we're six people. We don't really have you know a voice. Uh, what what can we do? And you know, the PDC uh, for those that don't know, it's, it's similar to you know uh, New York's uh, kind of economic development commission. They're active. I think it's EDC in New York, PDC in Portland. They're they're focused on using you know tools for economic development to build you know, neighborhoods and communities and in particular, you know, kind of sectors, whether it's an urban renewal area, uh, you know, such as the neighborhood that we're in or helping, you know, uh, recruit technology and creative companies into uh, into neighborhoods or, or, you know, helping to um, you know, really kind of develop, uh, you know, retail stores or, you know, uh, disadvantaged communities through their startup efforts. And we got involved with them, you know, for one event that was, you know, related to our neighborhood. And that led to a second conversation. And that led to a panel conversation. And, you know, before you knew it, uh, you know, we were involved in various PDC events. And we just met people through that. And it seems like a counterintuitive thing when you're six people and focused about, you know, are we going to make the next two or three payrolls? To say I'm going to volunteer for a public development commission's you know goals to like renew a city, but I think it's one of the smartest things that that we did. My chief creative officer, uh, you know, taught an entire semester at the University of Oregon in Eugene, which is three hours south of here, and he would drive down every Thursday night. We have you know members of our creative department that teach at, at PSU. We have people that volunteer um, with with organizations. You know, they're teaching children to code or, or you know uh, working with women in tech. Any one of those things uh which seems like well, I shouldn't be focusing on this because I should be focusing on my business is actually a tremendous opportunity to expand your network and meet people uh that might be able to help out uh someday or that you might be able to help out someday so that it's it's really easy it seems counterintuitive I would highly recommend uh volunteer uh, get 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 outside um and then the other thing that we started doing a few years ago is an event called b c c Parties, uh, which stands for you know blind carbon copy It was started in New York. By uh, by Allison Mooney and some of her uh, friends, and the whole premise was we're going to invite people from brand, tech, ad uh, to come out to a bar, just kind of hang out and, and chat, and not really have an agenda or meet up. Everyone gets bcc'd, so you don't know who's going to show up. Uh, no, <laughs> yeah, it was great. It, it, it you know for them it helped uh, prevent you know asinine responses, and for us you know it was really neat because it just kind of allowed us to kind of you know it's almost like a speakeasy kind of an event. And my friend, Nick Parrish, uh, who uh, works for consultancy called Contagious, he's in New York. I was visiting. He's like, hey, you should come check this out tonight. And we went out, met Allison. I was like, this is a great, great event. It's, you know, it's nice that it's so cross-disciplinary. You know, Portland needs something like this because, you know, Portland gets really siloed. If you're in tech, you know, it's like, well, here's the 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 Cocoa developers meetup and here's the, you know, PHP meetup. And, you know, here's the, the, the advertising meetup or if you're on Nike or Adidas, you know, every, you know, parallel kind of meetup. And, and very rarely do those groups come together in, in any sort of meaningful way. And, and so I asked Alice, I was like, hey, how can I bring this to Portland? And she's like, well, you should just do it. And so, you know, we helped them with the, the design of, of the website. And we, we started a few years ago and, and just started adding, you know, folks to this list and inviting people to to meet up. And, you know, it's it's actually been really great. Uh, we have met some fascinating people that we would have otherwise never come across. We actually had a BCC event, an unofficial one, actually, uh, across you know, New York, Portland, and and uh, and California, in Havana, Cuba, of all places, and we realized that because of BCC, you know, the four uh, four of us were, were part of this larger trip. Uh, we all got connected through this thing, and and we you know found ourselves in Havana last year as, as part of a, a fringe diplomatic effort uh, put together by the Aspen Institute and and the Richard Center's Richardson Center for Diplomacy, and so wow. again. There's no way that you could have, you know, said uh two years ago, hey, what's the ROI on opening up a bar tab and inviting a bunch of people to hang out? And that's not the reason why you do something like that. Do it because you don't know. And uh yeah. And so Nick is now out here in Portland. Uh, he, he resides with us in kind of our offices, you know, running contagious from, from our offices and, and we run BCC maybe once a quarter now and, and uh it's just a great way to get a, a sense of 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 what's going on in Portland. Uh, you know, connect people uh, who might not otherwise connect and just kind of catch up uh, with friends and colleagues that you haven't seen in a while. And again, low stakes, right? You don't have to be a a super networker just to say, hey, I'm going to open up a bar tab and and just come hang out.
0: So I, I, I wrote down three things. One was having coffees with whoever asks or whoever you're interested in, in just, you know, chatting with. Two, you talked about volunteering opportunities and, and how both you and members of your team have been doing that and continue to do that and the BCC parties and, and, but I think none of those for me sound like, Hey, let's go and do one of these things because next week that will result in a new client. It sounds more like let's do these things because... They're kind of fun to do, and maybe it will lead to something sometime in the future.
1: I think that's a way safer and more realistic way to play it. I mean, I think if if you're looking for a client next week, you're you're going to choose the wrong client for the wrong reasons. Um, I think the the best type of business development is is building those relationships, and and I get that in, in the early going, and and this is maybe. A mitigating factor towards growth or uncontrollable growth or, or unresponsible growth early on is you shouldn't be able to grow faster than you're able to, you know, land business a, a few a few months away. Um, you know, I think if if there are needs, you know, shorter term than that, then certainly you can, you know, reach reach out to colleagues and 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 say, hey, we're doing X, Y, or Z, or like, hey, let's catch up. It's been a while, and 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 find strategic things, but. Again, I think the the cycles to, to close something within you know 30 days or even 45, 60 days, that's a way harder way to to go around new business versus having a lot of those conversations. And I think inevitably, someone will say, "I know someone who's looking for someone that does what you do. Let me let me connect you with that person." And that's a way warmer intro than you pinging someone with, with an ask. So, you know, I. I think we've been we've been lucky that that's the way we've been able to to approach those things that, that that the collective sum of the the outreach the community the brand building efforts that that we do has always led to an organic level of growth that we've been able to support. You know, we're not we're not a salesy kind of organization. I'm sure that, you know, if if you're building something that's just trying to, you know, acquire users or customers, then, you know, I think there's press related tactics and and Twitter related tactics and social media related tactics that you can use to, you know, build awareness and, and drive, you know, conversion on, on a website. But for the most part, the the, t- the work that we do is, is very relationship driven, uh, you know, as as. I think it's evidenced by by clients coming back for for more work, or clients that you know leave one company and and go to another and say, "Hey, what are you what are you guys up to these days?" Would love would love to catch up.
0: Are, are you kind of an extrovert? Do you is it natural for you to kind of go out and network and meet with new people? And
1: I I think my colleagues and 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 those close to me would say yes. I think those who have known me for maybe twenty thirty plus years would would probably know that there was a time where I wasn't that, and and I, I definitely kind of you know, come a little bit out of my shell over, over the last, you know, 10, 15 years professionally, but it wasn't always, it wasn't always easy to kind of get out to those events and just, you know, meet people. Like I'm not, I'm not someone who's going to, you know, shake a million hands at at an event. I I definitely like finding the conversations where I feel I can contribute to. So I, you know, on the ENTJ scale, I I probably am, you know, a a borderline ENTJ, INTJ, uh, even though I think probably relative to my colleagues, I'm, I'm probably way more E- Uh, than a lot of folks here.
0: And that's on the the Myers-Briggs scale for people who are not familiar with that. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Sorry. Are you an entrepreneur looking to buy a profitable online business or a founder ready to sell? Bupas is the number one platform for buying and selling profitable online businesses. With their exclusive listings, as well as listings from other marketplaces, and the option to submit your own deal for approval, Bupas has you covered. Plus, they're the first to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers of recurring revenue businesses, allowing you to access fast funding without personal guarantees. And their experienced M&A advisory team supports you every step of the way. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash BUPOS. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to start your entrepreneurial journey or sell your business at the right valuation with BUPOS.com. Cool, uh, and you don't have any salespeople, right? So, aside from finding clients through building these relationships, is there anything else that you guys are doing that that helps you get new clients or new business?
1: Sure. So, like I mentioned, Aura Ara as a, a company that uh, does active outreach and and finds companies that are seeking, you know, products like the ones that we can build or, or technologies like the ones that we can contribute was absolutely instrumental in 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 our growth path and you know to this day they 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 have a really good sense of of what we do and and you know it, it's it's a very kind of narrow kind of focused of of the types of you know projects that might come up within kind of an ad agency context but but they still contribute uh you know work with brands and and clients and I think that was you know it was way comforting to not have to open up a new york or san francisco or chicago office and know that we had uh People in those markets that were actively reaching out to potential customers and saying, "Hey, here's a company uncorked. Here's what they do. Uh, here's what they're really good at. Here's what they're not really good at. Uh, don't you know? Don't go to them for for X, Y, or Z. But but if it's something along these lines, uh, you know, re- reach out to them. So that w- that was really good. Um, but you know, outside of that, I would say you know most of our business these days is is recurring. Recurring customers, whether or recurring clients, whether or not they're at the same you know company now that they were a year ago or they've moved on to a startup or to a different innovation group. Um, and so we've we've been able to to sustain our our growth over the last uh, few years uh, based on those relationships and and people we know and 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 certainly, you know there are people that see some of the work that we do. So um, you know we built uh, a Lego movie maker app uh, probably almost four years ago now. And that app has led to more inquiries, I think, than, than anything we've ever worked on. And it's a very simple, you know, stop motion uh, application. It ties into the insight that, you know, there's people that love, uh, love their Lego collections and will, you know, create these beautiful, you know, stop motion movies. And, um, that started out as, as an ad agency project, uh, Pere and Odell in San Francisco, uh, had this idea for a project. Uh, they, Contacted you know the folks at Ara like hey who do you know that can build a, a mobile app and and Ara reached out to us and uh, we said yeah absolutely this is awesome uh, a we all love Lego uh, b gives us an excuse to buy Lego uh, products and, and throw them in our office and, and pretend that we're actually working uh, and uh, and yeah we we totally get the value this is definitely a product that we want to build and you know Perea and I think what is probably the most altruistic thing uh, I've ever seen an ad agency do they they went on to win the Mattel business and they said hey do you want to You know, you've been a really great partner for this. Do you want to uh, carry on with the Lego business and continue to support this product? And we're like, yeah, absolutely. And so we've worked with Lego, you know, off and on now for, you know, like I said, over four years, you know, updating the product, uh, bringing it to, you know, iPad form and, and, you know, continue to make innovations based on, you know, the new product releases that they have and, and, and whatnot. And yet that led to work, you know, with Samsung's product innovation team a few years later and 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 uh, another agency in New York who was looking to build something for the March and Dimes a few years later. And, you know, I think having uh, recognizable work that you can talk about uh, and share, even if it leads to something that is maybe, you know, more R&D or kind of uh, skunk worky in nature, um, that's really great. So having visible work you can point to um, or just blogging about the, the technologies that you're working with. Um, in a way that allows you to share that you're doing something in a space that that doesn't violate an NDA. So, um, you know, talking about uh, a lot of the Bluetooth LE work uh, that we've been doing uh, doesn't necessarily give away what we're doing that for. Uh, but let's folks know that that we're, you know, doing a lot of hardware work. So I think finding ways to, you know, contribute to community, whether that's in person uh, or writing a blog post or a tweet or engaging in a conversation on, on a digital community uh, about things. I mean, that, that has led, uh, I would say probably to, to 95% of our work.
0: So when I go into the, uh, the iOS app store and I search for Lego movie maker, um, the first result that comes up is for the official Lego movie maker app. Is that the one that you guys built?
1: Uh, yes.
0: Oh man. You know, my son loves that app he's he's built some like his mind blowing stuff, like, you know, like little scenes from Indiana Jones with just <laughs> his Legos and stuff like that. So, um, wow. Now, so now I know who built it. <laughs> yeah, that, that was it. That's
1: awesome. My world.
0: world. Yeah. Um, so, you know, kind of hearing the story, it sounds apart from the bumpy ride, maybe you had with, um, Gorlocks and the company yes. you started before, uncorked, it sounds like pretty smooth sailing, and the business has continued to grow and i, I believe right now you have what around twenty five people working there
1: uh north of that actually, so we're around thirty six actually
0: you seem to grow like every I think the last time we <laughs> talked was like a month ago, and it's like
1: <laughs> yeah uh we've 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 been on a growth clip the the last six months uh for sure,
0: wow. So, but there must've been some challenges in growing the business. There must've been some challenges in finding clients and, and meeting payroll. And so tell me about one example of a difficult time that you've faced in the last few years in in growing the business.
1: Sure. Uh, and, and there were certainly, you know, there were a lot of challenges and I I think, you know, it's like looking at like a, a stock ticker symbol. I think if, you know, if you zoom in, there's, there's volatility, right. You know, over like a day period or like a two week period. And if you kind of zoom out, you can start, start seeing sort of, you know, trends. And, and I would say that, you know, even though our, our, our current trend is growth, I think if, if you zoom in on any, you know, any one day or two week or, or two month period, I mean, there, there's volatility in, 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 in the startup world and, and, you know, that volatility, you know, can certainly be, you know, financial based, but it, it's, it's usually just emotion based or, or, or work based or, you know, conversation based. Uh So it, it's, it's, you know it's challenging building a company, uh, and I, I don't want, I don't want to take anything uh, away from that because there have been struggles and challenges. I think, you know, one of the the challenges we faced probably a couple of years ago. You know, we're just making our foray into hardware, uh, and and looking to build a product. And we had you know an agency you know come to us with a really you know kind of Complex product uh, involved, you know, uh, a physical device involved, a, a big event, uh, big celebrity, you know, associated with it, and, and you know, kind of a compressed timeline. All, all the fodder for the kinds of things that, you know, seem really, really challenging and, and and interesting, but but also you know, incredibly risky. And and, you know, that project didn't turn out uh, the way the way that we had hoped. Um you know we had we had some subcontractors uh, on it on you know some electrical engineering aspects that that didn't really pan out. And you know the the project uh, just it just didn't turn out the way that we did and 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 you know, I think that led to a couple of things. I think you know one we we questioned, hey, is this hardware thing something that we really want to be doing? it's 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 difficult. it's uh, it's hard, and there are sometimes things that are outside of our control, you know uh, from a you know delivery standpoint that, that introduced challenges that might just be too much, you know, for us to take. There were secondary challenges, which was, you know, while we tried to resolve, you know, what we did deliver that, you know, there was questions of, you know, whether or not we were going to get paid for the work that we did, or if that was going to get challenged. And third, I think it was, you know, a, a bit of a bruise to the ego, like, is is this really, you know, too much for us to handle? And, you know, I, I would say that uh, to the credit of all of my colleagues, I, I think, you know, we looked at the hardware thing and said, you know what, let's, let's double down on hardware. And, and it didn't come from me, which, which, you know, I think people would have expected, you know, me to be the one like, let's double down. And I think, you know, I was definitely a little gun shy in, in, in the, the immediate moments of, of that project. And I think it was, you know, one of those moments where, where our COO and our team said, look, no, we're, we're doing this. Let's, let's do it. Um, but in, in kind of that that aftermath of, Hey, you know, are we going to get paid? Are we going to make payroll? You know, we, we definitely made a few mistakes and, and the mistakes were actually um, ones of saying, Hey, let's, let's be more receptive to any, you know, project that comes in while we try to figure out the uncertainty of, uh, of the financial situation. And so we took on, you know, projects that were still for, you know, good cause, whether it was a startup or, you know, something kind of small, but we were trying to fill, we're trying to fill time and not really our capacity or desire to, to build upon our, our experiences. And I think, you know, we ended up creating almost like two citizens of, of clients, like those that you know, really could afford our services and those that were just trying to you know, hedge ourselves against the uncertainty of, of what might happen from, from this client paying. And that was an absolute mistake. I think we learned quite a few things from that. And, and, and one of them is, you know, if, if, if someone can't uh, you know pay pay that rate that that you're at or or if you're doing things at a discount or trying to cycle it in you know, between projects you you're, you're going to create two two tiers of of clients and and that's not healthy either for your staff or or for those uh clients that you're trying to to work with uh and secondarily it just makes it really difficult to do good work when you're just trying to to stretch everybody a little bit too thin so i think lessons from that is how do we you know find clients that align to not only what we're capable of doing but really kind of the the mission of let's let's explore together right let's not uh, here's a PSD file build this um, th- those are projects that don't really align with us but hey here's a here's a question a legitimate problem that we think exists in the world how can we work together to find it and that path is a meandering path and there isn't always a finite, you know, deliverable or set of deliverables, sometimes, you know, the pathway to that involves asking way more questions in the short term. And if you're a startup, five or $10,000 to spend, like that's never going to work for, you know, some of these products. But if you have the ability to kind of walk with us for, you know, five or six months while we explore those things and and prototype things and build things iteratively and and understand and research, you know, potential audiences, that ends up becoming, you know, a, a way more satisfying, mutually aligned product. And I think in the aftermath of, of that project, we were way too eager just to fill in the time and not really kind of fill in kind of the, the mission-driven, you know, kind of projects that we wanted. And so say even in the face of, you know, kind of of adversity and, and kind of payroll adversity or, or you're trying to, you know, uh, find stuff for people to do, don't compromise on the values of, of the type of business that, that you want to be uh, and make sure that, you know, you wait for the right moment. And now that's not saying that, uh, you should sit around and wait uh, for the right thing to come up because inevitably, you know, uh, you, you will crash, right? So there are ways to take advantage of that downtime. Uh, whether it's getting out to more events or speaking or writing more, working on internal projects, you know, like your website or, or some of the things that that build, you know, a culture of innovation and and might be something that helps you answer a question that a client might come up uh, with next. Um so use that downtime to explore new technologies. Use it to you know uh, kind of reset or refresh uh someone used the, the phrase palette cleanser the other day as, as a way to I can't remember who it was, um the, you know, a palate cleanser between client projects, uh, just to kind of r- refresh yourself. Um and and don't you know don't mistake you know uh, hunger with starvation and and uh, and just be prudent about the types of projects that that you choose to work on.
0: Okay, so you basically were in a situation where Maybe there were some concerns about meeting payroll, um, or just paying the bills or whatever, whatever term we like to use. And you started to look at, um, clients sort of discounting your rates for clients who normally wouldn't be the type of clients that you would work with or taking on projects, which you normally wouldn't take on because they didn't kind of really meet the bar. In terms of what you guys were trying to do for the type of company you were trying to build or the things that you guys were really good at or passionate about. And, you know, I can, I can understand that it can be, you know, it can be kind of a difficult situation, but sort of looking back at that, do you think it would have been that easy for you just to turn all of that business down or, or, or is that what you meant by the difference between hunger and starvation in terms of, um, you know, knowing when you really need to go out and do that versus, um, when, when you shouldn't make those compromises and and you can still find ways to push through.
1: So, yeah, you know, I think the the difference between hunger and starvation is that there's going to be times when it, it feels like you're starving, uh, for work, starving for, for a project or, you know, if payroll isn't met, everything's going to fail. And there are times when that, that is legitimate, you have to do it because payroll, you know, is is coming up and you need to make sure that you've got a a project or something lined up to keep folks busy. But I think early in that, I think it's really easy to look at kind of the the initial kind of signs of hunger and confuse those with starvation and and make uh, a business decision or or a move that uh, is going to cost you more in the long run. And I think what we learned from, you know, being overzealous and taking some of those smaller, you know, kind of coach class projects is that it actually, you know, a, we, we ended up getting, you know, the right types of, of projects lined up just a few weeks later. Uh, and B, those, those smaller, you know, kind of projects ended up dragging on, you know, significantly longer than, um, than they probably should have and, and required, you know, way more attention than something that came to us with, um, you know, kind of the the, the type of budget or, or the type of project that we wanted to uh, you know, just way more account management, way more overhead costs needed to to manage it. So um totally recognize that there's there's points where you need to make business decisions. But uh I think I think the big tech takeaway is, is to not confuse that that initial inkling of hunger with uh I'm gonna starve if I don't have a a, a meal
0: now you talked about this vision of building this this R and D firm and continuously trying to develop new products. Um, so you're kind of not in that situation where a client comes along and you've got to try and build something from scratch in six to eight weeks. I know you do, you do things at Uncork to drive that kind of innovation continue to kind of build that culture of just, just innovating and continue thinking about building better and more creative products. Can you kind of share with the audience, like one example of, of what you've done to to do that?
1: Sure. Absolutely. I think one of the the most popular objects uh, in our office at this moment, uh, I think came from uh, one of those kinds of insights. So we had, we had a colleague of ours that had to drink more water uh, was, was asked by, Hey, drink more water. And he got bored with uh, tap water. And so he decided to make for himself uh, a little bit of sparkling water to just kind of, you know, mix up uh, the, 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 the water flavors in his mouth. And at the same time, we had another colleague of ours who was really interested in, you know, putting a kegerator uh, in the office. And those two things came together in a very unexpected way in that one of the first tests of the, the kegerator was like, well, let's just run some sparkling water through it uh and voila, uh therein was born the the sparkling water kegerator which at the surface seems like well so what uh you've got a sparkling water kegerator but the the neat thing is is sort of the the science and the and the passion behind this so uh Josh DeRico the 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 man behind the the sparkling water kegerator um realized that the city of Portland publishes its uh mineral water or just its regular tap water mineral contents uh every month and he also found someone uh, on the internet, uh, who publishes the the chemical compositions of basically every sparkling water uh, brand that you can buy in the world, and we had three taps on this kegerator. Josh figured, well, I can you know buy the mineral salt, and I've got you know this carbonation uh, you know tank that I can just pump CO2 in it. I'm just going to make uh, off-brand sparkling water. And we have this kegerator that, you know, features, you know, Topo Chico from Mexico a Clastorna from somewhere else. And, And, you know, he has batches and batches and batches of sparkling water. And it's one of those things that we never intended to be you know, kind of a, a cultural icon. but the minute any one of those taps uh, goes dry, uh, you'll hear about it on on slack. hey, what's what what's up with the sparkling water? Um, and and people come in and and you know they've seen the blog post about it and they ask about it, and it's become a recruiting tool for colleagues. It's become uh, something we talk about with clients. and And certainly, you know we we actually do get paid to do work. but um here's here's this example of of this thing that was just you know inspired by you know one person's need or or passion to you know test something out that, uh, has allowed us to kind of showcase that you know we we have a culture of creativity that where people are kind of experimenting uh, with with technologies and things and and you know while I certainly don't see us going into the, the sparkling water business anytime soon I think you know the, the fact that people will will come in and work on projects like that uh, for themselves using the tools and, and and things that we have in the office on weekends I think is is a tribute to to the culture that that we've built where. You know, if you are in between client projects and you're looking for something to do, like, hey, you know, take take a new technology for a spin, see if you can, you know, learn how to use the 3D printer and 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 you know, solder, you know, some components to you know, build like a smart little, you know, kind of device that you know ends up gonging the entire you know office with a mechanical you know kind of arm anytime someone writes the word you know gong on, on a particular channel in Slack. Um, or, you know, take a, take a look at some of the, you know, the blue, the, the, BLE chips that are out there and, and see if we can build a tool that lets us understand signal strength so that if we, you know, get asked about, you know, uh, the Texas instruments versus the Nordic, uh, you know, Bluetooth, uh, at least act, we can, we can talk, you know, more intelligently about what, what's out there. So, um, those kinds of experiments, again, you know, it, it's not being driven from on high. People just, uh, are passionate about them. You know, we've got one colleague of ours who, uh, has been mapping, you know, every run or every bike trip that he took all of last year, just so that he can, you know, express his, his CSS and, and kind of HTML skills. And again, total side project, uh, but he's sharing, you know, the results of, of his work with, with colleagues to get input from the design team or from, you know, uh, other folks who are active. Uh, and it just becomes a way to kind of collaborate and, 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 and work together to, uh, to just expand our skill sets beyond just, you know, what what a client is asking us to do. And, uh, you know, because we, we you know, are routinely involved in, in building technologies for health or fitness or wearable or just, you know, visualizing data, that's the kind of insight that, you know, could help us, uh, you know, land the project sometime in the near future. And, and, you know, I think the fact that people are passionate about those things and the fact that people are willing to share uh, uh, those projects and those experiences, you know, uh, with their colleagues is, is is something that we're very, very proud of.
0: Yeah, I love it, love it. All right, it's uh, time for our lightning round. Uh, I'm sure. going to ask you a series of questions, and just like you to answer them as quickly as you can. Okay, you ready? Let's do it. Okay. What's the best piece of business advice that you ever received?
1: I think best piece of, of, of business advice is you know uh, this is normal. <laughs> we've we've all gone through something similar to this, and, and uh, Josh Rees from from Simple is is. Is the one who uh, you know became a mentor to me a, a few years ago, and has has advised in in a lot of the kind of the you know seeming growth pains uh, that we encountered, and and just you know it's normal we've all been there. Uh, I think it just allows us to put ourselves in the context that we're not encountering something new for the first time.
0: What book would you recommend to our audience, and why? Uh, I think a book that we've found really
1: useful as of late uh, is a book called Gamestorming, and we use it a lot to facilitate, uh, you know, kind of discovery processes with clients to quickly align on understanding, you know, anything from who is the the user or intended audience type to, you know, how do we prioritize features in kind of a meaningful and construct constructive way, and, and how do we just you know, break through the monotony of of just a, a kickoff meeting to really, you know, get people engaged and active. And it's, it's a really easy read, you don't have to read it all at once, you can just kind of go through and see that there's, you know, series of opening exercises, series of kind of continuing exercises, and then kind of tools to kind of get closure and, and alignment and uh, really phenomenal book, uh, you know, certainly targeted towards uh, you know, companies that are either on the product side or even services based company that kind of consult with, with product companies, but a really great set of tools for anybody who needs to take divergent opinions, uh, quickly align in kind of a fun way and, and, and use it, uh, to kind of gain insight and, and, and unblock, uh, you know, uh, innovation or, or just what should I do next?
0: Uh, what's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful entrepreneur?
1: Resilience. Uh, You have to be able to to get back up uh, if you get knocked down or, you know, if today is really, really bad, you need to wake up tomorrow and, and look at it, look at it fresh.
0: What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit?
1: Uh, productivity tool right now is Google Keep. Uh, I really like how simple of, of, uh, of, uh, of a tool it is. It's, you know, a simple to-do list uh, kind of tool slash sticky tool. And it syncs really, really nicely across my work computer, my Chromebook and my iPhone.
0: What's uh, a new business idea or a crazy idea that you have in your head you'd love to pursue if you had the extra time?
1: <laughs> that's a good one. Um, well, there's, there's, all right, there's two, uh, we, we've been working on a, on a smart wine cellar, uh, product, uh, for some time called Somli and, and we're getting really, really close to actually, uh, having a, a demonstrable product. So that's, that's probably more in the connected device space and probably too close, uh, to our, our, main work to count as a real answer. Uh, the other one, uh, is, uh, we prototyped a, an idea for a variation of the game Jenga using ice cubes. Uh, and we, three, <laughs> we 3D printed a mold and we poured silicone into it and it actually worked. We iterated on it a couple times. And if I had enough time, I would do a Kickstarter. I wouldn't call it Ice Jenga because I don't want to get sued by Hasbro. Uh, <laughs> but I would call it, you know, Ice Tower of, of, of Tumbling Blocks or something. And uh, I just wish I had time to, to do it.
0: Uh, what's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know?
1: Um... I really enjoy underwater photography. Uh, obviously, being in Portland, I don't get a chance to do a lot of underwater photography. Uh, but it, uh, scuba diving uh, when I was a kid was something I, I really enjoyed doing. I certainly don't get to do much of it these days. But um, if I could you know, be somewhere in the Caribbean with, with, a, with a saltwaterproof camera, uh, that would be great.
0: Um, and finally, what's one of your most important passions outside of your work?
1: Uh, running. Uh, it is, you know, aside from being exercise and, and I'll say this as a person who doesn't consider himself a runner, uh, but, you know, getting out and just running and taking the time to, you know, listen to your footsteps and just think about problems or think about conversations or, uh, just kind of clear head. I think it's, it's healthy, uh, for your business. It's healthy for your personal life. Uh, do it with friends, do it with family. Um, but it's, you know, without, without running, I think I would probably made, Infinitely more poor decisions in my life.
0: Marcelino, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for, for joining me today and sharing your experiences and insights with our audience. You know, I love the, the culture of innovation and learning that you, you've been building with, with Uncorked. Um, and, and how you've been thinking about building relationships as opposed to just going out and finding clients. And, and I think it really kind of shows both of those things show that you're taking a, a much more of a long-term strategic approach to, to building your business. And it's clearly paying off. You, you're continuing to grow. Um, and, um, I, I'm sure the next time we talk, you'll have probably doubled the number of people working there. Um, don't tell anyone. (laughs) And, uh, You know, next time I'm down in Portland, I'll I'll definitely have to get you to hook me up with some of that sparkling water that you guys have down there. (laughs)
1: Absolutely. Would love, would love to give you a a tasting tour.
0: Now, if folks want to find out more about Uncorked Studios, they can go to uncorkedstudios.com and I'll put a link in the show notes to that as well. And if folks want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Sure, absolutely. Email is the best way to get a hold of me Marcelino at com. If you want to grab a coffee or some sparkling water, let me know.
0: Thanks again. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you so much. Really appreciate it.
0: Cheers.